So just to add a little bit to that so you understand, because many of you we see are newcomers and you might not have been here when we did this last year. Um, we, have a couple of, we have a couple of groups of business people that are committed to supply us with turkeys. So um, they supply the turkeys. We supply the sides. We fill up these boxes. We call them boxes of kindness. And they'll be distributed at all our campuses, uh, I believe, on the weekend of November the 12th. I believe it is. Um, yeah, somewhere along that, those lines. We like to get the, the stuff in the hands of the individuals with enough time for them to make plans for Thanksgiving holiday. Amen? Amen. So be, be a part of that. I might refer to this later on in the message, uh, but it's important to play a part um, yourself in doing this. It gives you the opportunity to sow personally into another, another family's life, and we believe it's very important for you to do that. So... Um, before I get into the message, and there's a lot for me to cover here today, but before I get into that message, uh, I do want to address the issue of what's going on in Israel right now. Okay, um, if you're the type of person that really doesn't follow the news or really don't pay attention to much of that or haven't really felt connected to that part of the world, this is extremely significant. This, is not, this isn't like a terrorist came into Tel Aviv and blew up a restaurant. This is an outright... Just out, just war. This is war. Okay? Now, um, the reason I'm talking about this is because whatever happens in Israel affects the church. Okay? Israel is God's timepiece. That's the calendar on God's, uh, in God's schedule. I don't know how else to explain this to you. I'm not up here to cause fear or anything like this. But we need to be very much aware, <clears throat> need to be praying, because um, this could spin out of control real quick, and most likely will. So prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves for what could possibly be some scary times in the future. Prepare yourselves for um, things to change. And sometimes they change very drastically. And especially when things happen in that part of the world, it affects everything all over the world, especially the economies, things of this nature. So be in prayer, especially for the people on both sides who are innocent, because they're normally the ones that suffer the most. Now, uh, there is, like I said, a timeline that the Bible establishes that things that are supposed to occur and take place and scriptures that, need, that should be fulfilled leading up to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever been of the opinion, oh, it's last days, end times, things, please, it's happening right before our eyes. This is not minor stuff. We're living in, we're living in very, very uh, precarious, very critical times right now. Amen. I don't know if you understand that. You don't have to be a historian, and you don't have to be a prophecy expert to understand this. I mean, right now, uh, I, I, I'll mention this, but I'm not saying thus saith the Lord and that this is 100%. But uh, Psalm 83 talks about a war that would take place before the great war of Ezekiel 38. And if you're like, I don't know what he's talking about, just write those things down, go read them, uh, especially Psalm 83. Psalm 83 seems like it could have been written yesterday, okay? 
it talks in that much detail about how an attack would come against Israel. And the very things that the enemies would say about Israel is actually in Psalm 83, written uh, 3,000 years ago. Okay, only God could do something like that. Now, I'm not saying this is Psalm 83, but it sounds a lot like it. Okay? And um, this is a wake-up call. We're in a season of wake-up calls. Thank you for that confirmation there. Okay? Listen, when stuff like this happens, the church needs to wake itself up, shake off the slumber, and needs to understand the days and the seasons that we're living in right now. This is very critical. Okay? Um, You're going to see a lot more players involved in this conflict. Okay? Already this morning, I saw a report that not only, now you understand if you understand any of it, in the geography of Israel, Gaza is on the border of Egypt. Gaza is the land of the Philistines. Okay? The Gaza up to Ashkelon is the area where the Philistines lived, where Goliath came from. They're traditionally enemies of Israel. So this invasion, and it's not just a little terrorist attack, it's an invasion, took place in the south into Israel. This morning in the north, another group called Hezbollah, which is funded by Iran, okay, they started to send rockets into northern Israel, okay, stage two, okay, if that continues to go. Most likely what will happen next is Syria, there'll be an attack coming from Syria on that side. And that will most likely or could trigger that Ezekiel 38 war, which is the one that's like, that's, that's a biggie. Okay, so here we are in America. We're all preoccupied with all kinds of stupidity in our social media, in our culture, and everything else. In the meantime, on the other side of the world, major prophecies are being fulfilled. Remember, the book that you hold precious is a Jewish book. It is not an American book. It is not a Western book. It is a Middle Eastern book, and it centers around Jerusalem and Israel. Okay? So don't put your head in the ground. Don't just keep living like, like nothing's going on. This is major. Okay? So I want to just take a minute or two to just pray. Um, so would you stand up? Father, we join our hearts today, Lord God. We join our faith today, Lord God. We recognize that we are living in perilous times, Father, the treacherous times, Lord God. We recognize, Father God, that the enemy has many yielded to him in order to accomplish what he desires to accomplish. But we know that you have a greater plan. And we know that you're the almighty one. And we know that you are the mighty one of Israel. We know that you are the the rock of ages unto your people, your chosen people, Father God. So, Lord, we ask you now in the name of Jesus, Father God, even as it was said in ancient times, Arise, O God, and let your enemies be scattered. Arise, Lord, to protect your people. Arise, Lord, to protect the innocent, Lord God. And Father, with the authority that you've given us and the power of the name of Jesus, we take authority and we bind the forces of darkness, Father God, that are causing murders right now and fear and paralyzing fear over the nation of Israel. 
Father, we pray for the families that have already lost loved ones. Father, we pray especially for those who have been taken hostage and brought back into Gaza, Lord God, the terror that they must be experiencing right now. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you send angels to minister to them, that you send grace to them. Father, that you would send strength and peace to your people. And Father, that you would give wisdom and understanding and divine strategies to the military there in Israel, Father God, that they would know how to fight back and how to push back the enemy, Lord God. But Father, I also ask you, God, for a sense of urgency to come upon your church. Father God, that we would awake from our slumber, that we would awake from the comfort of living in America, that we would awake, Father God, and, and align ourselves with you, Lord, and being used by you to pray and to, to, to speak and to decree divine declarations that come from your throne room, Father God, that will change nations and change seasons and change times. And Father, that we would see and hear the reports of angelic intervention on behalf of your people, Father God. Lord, we're in agreement here this morning, Father. We trust you for these things, God. We commit this entire situation into your hands, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go ahead. You could be seated. All right. I got a good amount of time this morning. I want you to settle in because what I've got to do is take everything we've learned in the past four weeks and wrap it up and put a bow on it. Okay, so there's some important principles. There's just some important things that I want to share. For those of you that are joining us today for the first time or newcomers or maybe you've only been here a week or two, um, you need to go on YouTube and listen to the messages from the past four weeks. It is an absolute impossibility for me to review the whole series and still present the rest of the information this morning to kind of wrap this thing up. You know, next week we have Reverend uh, Bill Ray. You guys are going to enjoy him. He's a major blessing. He was uh, on the staff of instructors in the Bible school that we graduated from in uh, Rama in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, we're very much looking forward to him being here next week. Amen. So here's the deal. I'm just going to throw it out at you again. You're going to need to go listen to the other messages or, uh, online. You could do that throughout the week. We started a series about four weeks ago. Actually, exactly four weeks ago. And the goal of this series got a couple of different facets to it. Number one, we needed to establish in the beginning the fact that if you stick to the truth of the scriptures, you come away understanding that God is good. Okay, I can see you're very excited about that. that. That God is good and only good. Okay, if you've been entertaining a philosophy or if you've been brought up in a philosophy that has trained you to think that everything that comes to life comes to us in our lives all comes from God, you have been misled. Because Jesus made it extremely clear in the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus made this statement. He said, the thief comes only to rob, kill, and destroy. I have come that they, speaking about us, would have life and have it more abundantly. I don't know how much clearer you can get. Because if something is coming against your life and it's coming to rob, kill, and destroy, it's coming from the kingdom of darkness. If it comes to bring life and bring life more abundantly, it is coming from the kingdom of God. Get that settled in your heart. See, because if you don't have that settled in your heart, when you come up to the promises of God in the Bible, you're going to be wishy-washy about it. 
You're going to be wondering whether you can really believe those promises or not. You may even entertain the fact that, well, maybe he can do this, but he might not do it for me. God is good. His plan for you is good. Okay? Now, if God is good, and he is, and if his plan for you is good, then that means that we should expect to see in the Bible, because that's his communication to us, we should expect to see instructions, directions, uh, principles, that if we, when we follow them, we experience the goodness of God. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, you understand this, right? Yes. Okay, because I know there's this resurgence of a teaching that every couple of decades it pops up and it throws a whole bunch of people into confusion. And it's called this sovereignty of God thing. And, and is God sovereign? Absolutely. But understand this, in his sovereignty, he has chosen to limit himself to certain principles and certain instruction. Are you getting this? Now, he can do whatever he wants, but he's already committed to us by covenant, which is also a very important principle there. By covenant, he has committed to us to relate to mankind in a certain framework. Outside of that framework, he has promised not to operate in. For instance, he can snuff the life out of every single one of us anytime he wants. But because of the covenant that he's made with us, and it's a covenant of peace, and because he is love, you don't have to worry about him stepping out of that framework and snuffing you or having the ground open and swallow you in this dispensation. Amen. What do I mean by dispensation? In this time frame of history. Yes. Okay. From the point when Jesus said it is finished on the cross until he returns is the church age. During the church age, God the Father, together with Jesus Christ the Son, relates to mankind differently than in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you couldn't come before God unless you brought a slaughtered animal. Okay, blood had to be shed. Well, that was fulfilled at the cross. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the once and for all sacrifice. So there's no longer any need for a sacrificial, sacrificial system from that point forward. Does that make sense? Yes. So now we're living in the age of grace. Okay? Amen. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep going. So uh, what kind of God would he be and what kind of father would he be if he did not provide for us the direction, instructions, principles to cover the area that is the one thing that drives most people out of their minds. It's the one thing that causes people to stay up at night. It's the one thing that causes people's health to suffer. It's the one thing that causes marriages to suffer, relationships to suffer, and that is the area of finances, okay? Now, I hope that up until this point now, at this point, since we've been talking about this for four weeks, that some of you, that when I first introduced this series four weeks ago, and I mentioned that, that word finances, at that point, it could, I could just sense people's stomachs tightening up, like, oh my God, here we go. He's going to talk about money. But if you can't talk about money in church, where we can discuss the principles that God's given us so that we can successfully navigate through finances, where are you going to talk about them? Where are you going to get this information from? We need to talk about these things. Okay? Now, just to put your mind at ease, because sometimes some of you that may be newcomers and don't know our history and don't know a track record of this church, I am not teaching this to try to make people give more money. I'm not doing that. 
I'm doing this because my wife and I and most of our leadership and most of the core members of this church, we know this stuff works. It works. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I could do a 10-week seminar just on, the, just on testimonies of what the Lord has done in my personal family and our extended family, our children's lives, lives of the families of this church, how God has tremendously, tremendously lived up to his word and been faithful every single time when we follow the principles that he has given us. Does that make sense? Okay, so let me review real, real, real quickly last week's message, just the, just the high points, and then I want to continue, and then I want to address an issue. Before we're done today, I want to address a very serious issue that could hold people back from experiencing relief in the area of finances, even if they're born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, been saved a million years. There's one principle that if you do not overcome this, you're, not gonna, you're, just, you're never going to see the light of day when it comes to finances. We'll talk about that at the end. Okay, so one thing I need you to understand, um, well, let's go to Proverbs chapter three. Here again, number one, three main principles that God's given us to make sure our needs are met and that we have plenty to help others. We have plenty to help others. Okay, would you say that with me? That we have plenty to help others others, because the danger of this kind of message is that somebody could become very like, okay, me, 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 it's for me, it's for me, I'm going to work these principles, I want more, I want more, I want more, okay, that's not why this is being taught, okay, the principles in the word of God are for the reason of having our needs met and having enough to meet the needs of others, all right, you're a very lively group this morning, I'm just going to keep going, Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 9, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. What is the very first word there? I want you to say it nice and loud. Ready? One, two, three. Honor. Honor. Understand that God honors honor. He's a God of honor. His people should be people of honor. And so in our finances and our arrangement that he's made with us, speaking about finances or pertaining to finances, You've got to get this in your head. It's about honor, okay? Honor the Lord with your? And with the? Which fruits? First, First, right? So we just say first, right? So it's about honor and it's about first. You see, because if you don't put somebody first, don't say that you're honoring them, okay? Did you ever ever find out about a party like the day before it's going to happen? And then the person says, oh, well, why don't you come? Well, why didn't you invite me three weeks ago like you invited everybody else? Am I alone here or what? So you happen to come upon this party that was planned without you. So is is this person now giving you honor? No, they feel bad because they didn't want to invite you to begin with, but now you found out about the party. Is this too real this morning? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your bar- look at this, this is important because this is the end result of honor. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. If you're sitting there going, oh, I don't have a barn, calm down. <laughs> then your barns will be filled to 
overflowing and your vats, or we could say barrels, will brim over with what? New wine. wine. Okay, so here we go. Barns represents material substance, material resources, all right? So he's saying, if you honor me with your wealth, with your first fruits, then you're never going to lack for material resource, okay? You'll have your needs met. And your vats will brim over with, if it would have just said wine, we would have went, okay. So it's like the anointing, the presence of God. But it says here, purposely, new wine. New wine in the Bible always represents a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, what good is having a barn full of material wealth but I'm as dry as a bone on the inside. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I talking to myself here this morning? Okay. So he's saying you'll have both. You'll have your material needs met, and you will never lack for a fresh revelation from God, fresh move of the Holy Ghost, a fresh measure of anointing. In other words, you'll have it all. You got it? Okay, good. Now, let's go to Malachi. Now, last week, uh, let me just take a drink here because my voice is going back into puberty. (coughs) Imagine that at 67 years old. Okay, so listen. The book of Malachi. Normally, most Christians only know the book of Malachi (coughs) because it talks about the tithe. But that's only one portion of the book of Malachi. Listen to me. I challenge you, I beg you, I plead with you, read the entire book of Malachi because the entire book of Malachi is about honor. Chapter one, God speaks to the nation of Israel and rebukes them and says, you're bringing me all these deformed animals for sacrifice. You're bringing me the blind ones. You're bringing me the lame ones. You're bringing me the the deaf. You're bringing me ones with no legs. He said, why don't you bring that to your governor and see if he would accept it? He said, If I am father, then where is my honor? In chapter 2, he talks about honor between a husband and wife. In chapter 3, he talks about honor now pertaining to finances, which is directly connected to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Are you getting this? Okay. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, Test me in this, and this is the only place in Scripture that God ever says, test me. Some translations say, prove me. He's saying, try this out and see if it doesn't work. Because he goes on to say, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So he's talking about, again, Proverbs 9, he's talking about material blessing and talking about spiritual insight. Because when you open up the floodgates of heaven, it's not only what pours out that counts, it's the fact that you see in. You now have access into the heavenly realms. Are you getting this? I hope you are. All right? So, next verse. Now, here's, here's another fringe benefit. He said, if you, if you put me first, if you bring the first tithe, and the tithe, tithe, the word tithe is an old English word meaning a tenth or 10%. He said, if you take the first 10% off of your increase and devote it unto me, he said, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. 
Well, Pastor, I don't have any crops. Yes, but you have a job, you have a bank account, you have a checking account, uh, uh, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. That's your investments. You have a house that you've invested in. You may have a car that you invested in. You've you got to take it and put it in modern-day um, usage, okay? So what's he saying? If you put me first, I'll put you first. Thank you. If you put me first, he's saying, I'll put you first. I'll protect that which pertains to you. I will rebuke, in other, in other words, I will rebuke the devourer. Is that the next scripture? I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. I don't know about you, but I don't want a devourer constantly chasing me. If I have a way to get the devil off my back as it pertains to my finances, any investments, my home, my, anything that belongs to me, I'm going to employ that principle. Are you listening to me? See, I'm assuming some of you are concerned about your finances. If some of you are in such a position where, no, I've got unlimited funds, okay, then just hang out and maybe you'll pick up something here and there. Are you getting this? Yes. Okay. Verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He wants to put us in a position where what happens to us financially and how we prosper and how we handle rough times and how we handle the challenges of life, he said, I want to position you where it's noticeable to those around you. So they will come to the conclusion and say, there's something different about these people because it seems like everything they put their hands to prospers. And that was supposed to be Israel's role in the gospel. He set them up. He blessed them abundantly, still is, so that the other nations would, would come to the conclusion what is there different? Now, I'm sure, I'm certain that in the next week or two, we're going to start hearing reports of miracles that took place starting yesterday morning when all this attack took place. Amen. It happened in 1948. It happened in 1956. It happened in 1967. It happened in 1973. And it's been happening ever since. God intervening on behalf of individuals. You listening to me? And I wish every one of them could have been spared yesterday. But hundreds, I think to this point, what did I say last night, Barb? 350 people had died already? The last report's 400? That's everybody or just in Israel? In Israel. All right, so this thing is blowing up quick, okay? But we're going to hear reports. We're going to hear reports. It always happens. So, so you got this principle now. The tithe, 10%. Book of Malachi. It's a matter of honor, okay? Look, I'm just up here telling you what's in the book, all right? I can't force you to do it. We have never not tithed in 39 years that I've been a Christian. Um, I, got, I went to church the fir- very first time, a born-again church like this, with crazy people that raised their hands, the first time on Easter Sunday, 1984, okay? The following Sunday... I paid my first tithe. Don't tell me how I knew. I just knew. I don't remember anybody telling me. I don't know. Somebody must have mentioned it somewhere. But from that point until today, we have never not paid our tithes. We have never not brought our first 10%. Now, that 10% could have been $1,000 or it could have been $10. 
Because, you know, you have ups and downs in life. Does anybody here remember any ups and downs in life? <laughs> but always, always the first 10% before anything. I'm just telling you the principles in the Word. It's up to you to do it. Just like when you, get, when you explain people about salvation, how salvation, how you attain salvation, I can't make you get saved. God can't even make you get saved. But all we can do is look at the principles, understand them, believe them by faith, and participate with them, okay? Now, just to give you some understanding here, because some of you may have explored this and researched about this, and um, I can't spend more time on this after this. I got to move on. Uh, some people would say, well, well we're not under the, the law anymore, and so we don't have to pay tithes. Well, see, now you're showing that you really didn't study so good because the tithe existed before the law of Moses, actually over 400 years before the law of Moses. If I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and all the other hundreds and hundreds of commandments that came later. The tithe existed before that. It's before the law. So yes, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law, but that principle remains. Now here's a little hint for you, a little clue. How to, see, the Bible always interprets itself, and the Bible always gives clear clarity, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat pork, right? Come on, guys. Right? Yes. Go to Lakewood and try to buy pork chops. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you see the reality of this thing. So in the Old Testament, you, you couldn't eat pork. But now in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, there was an incident that took place between Peter and God, and, and God declared everything clean, okay? Amen. So now that, that law changed, right? That dietary law changed, yeah. right? Okay. So now today, when you come across a group of people say, no, we, can't, we don't eat pork because that's ungodly, that should be a red flag on the inside of you. That is a type of cult based on Old Testament law. Okay? All right. Uh, the clothes that you're wearing today, are they just cotton? No. All right. So in the Old Testament, you couldn't mix fibers together to produce clothing. Now, you can wear recycled Pepsi bottles. <laughs> you understand my point? My, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. Another one. In the Old Testament, you could not associate with Gentiles, with ungodly, non-Jewish people. But yet in the book of Acts, we see the gospel extended to the Gentiles. So here's the rule of thumb. When you see a law or a principle in the Old Testament changed in the New Testament, then you go with the change. But there's no change as it pertains to the tithe. In fact, Jesus in the gospels mentioned the tithe and said that we should do that. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, I believe it's verse 8, or it's verse, or chapter 8, verse 7, one of those, uh, the writer of Hebrews states that the tithe was at that point in time still being collected. Amen. Okay? So the tithe belongs to the church age. Amen. Now, we say, well, we're in the, we're in the, the uh, dispensation of grace. We're in the, church, the grace age. Okay, good. Then flip it. Give the 90% and you live off the 10%. My point is this, the tithe is the tithe, and it's always about honor. So don't tell me there's ever a time in human history where God says, you don't have to honor me anymore. Okay? All right, so let's move on, okay? Because again, there's some place I want us to be. All right, so he gives us principles. Let's talk about other principles that God um, has given us. Well, before you do that, 
Tithing pleases God. I'll tell you why. Because it takes faith to tithe. It takes faith for you to sit down whenever you get your paycheck, whether it's electronic, automatically deposit, whatever it is. At whatever point you sit down and do your budget, pay your bills, it takes faith for you and I to say, before we do anything else, we're taking the first 10% and setting that aside. Does that not require faith? Especially when you've got a long list that has to be covered. Yes or no? Yes. So the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to please God. Amen. Amen. Okay, good. All right. So let's look at some other principles here in the word that he's given us for us to have success. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. What does that mean? In today's language, we would say, a lazy person is going to become poor. But the hand of the... Come on, don't be afraid to say it. The hand of the diligent makes rich. What is it telling us? Work. Work. Earn your money. Earn a paycheck. Don't be lazy. Okay? Be diligent. Verse 5 goes on to say, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. In other words, recognize the season that you're in. He who sleeps and harvests is a son who causes shame. In other words, when it's time for you to should be out there uh, taking advantage of opportunities and you just want to sit home because you don't feel like getting up that morning, don't do that, okay? Next one, and this is a biggie in the church. I don't know why so many Christians fall prey for this. Beware of get-rich-quick schemes, how many times in 39 years have I heard a Christian say, uh, you need to come and become part of this thing, man. We're, we're going to really make a lot of money. And, and here's the kicker. Oh, and they're all Christians. Amen. We hear this all the time. They're all Christians. Okay. So, Proverbs 12, 11. You learning anything today? Yes. Proverbs 12, 11. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies... Come on, say it with me. Have no sense. Okay, do I have to go into this? Okay, you understand. There's no product to sell. Well, what am I selling? I, well, you just get somebody else to sell what you're selling. But I don't know what I'm selling. What am I selling? No, just get them on the slot beneath you, and then whatever money they make, you get a portion. But what are we selling? You got it? Okay. Develop, here's another important one. Develop a mindset that you are God's source of blessing to others. Man, God will flood you with blessing. If he knows that, if he knows that you've developed a heart that's sensitive to the needs of others, oh my God, well, he'll, he'll put stuff in your hands you never would have imagined. Because he knows it's not going to stop with you. Because the moment it stops with you, you're limiting it. Now he, he starts turning down the, the faucet a little bit. What's he going to pour so much out to you? How much can you, you can only sleep in one bed at a time, right? You can only eat one steak at a time. Are you getting this? Yes. So make sure that, oh, here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing an honest work with his own hands, his own hands, so that he may have something to what? Yes. With anyone in need. Part of your mindset about earning a salary, earning 
a living should be not just for what you can pile up, not just for how much big of a bank account you can get, but it should be for how many people you can bless. Thank you for that, that little amen over there. Okay, so let's, let's go now, number two. Remember, there's three principles. So let's talk about giving. Well, well, Pastor, you talked about tithing. No, let's talk about giving now. Because tithing is not giving. I'll say it again, give you a chance to digest it a little bit. Tithing is not giving. Amen. Tithing is just paying back to God what's already his. Giving comes out of the 90% that you're left with. Okay, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just think about this, okay? Um, Tithing, he tells us exactly how much to give. With giving, he leaves it up to us. Now, we should be led by the Holy Spirit in our giving, but that's why Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, talks about how we should be cheerful givers and that each one of us should give according to what our desire is, not... uh, not compulsive, not just I have to, not an out of obligation. He allows us to determine how much we want to give. So the ideal thing in the kingdom of God is that we are presenting our tithes to him, the first 10%, because they belong to him. Okay, I know you're all excited about this, but let me just get through this, okay? I could tell the excitement, all right? And, um, and some people just can't deal with this stuff. They just don't want to hear it, and that's fine. When you stand before Jesus, that's between you and him. But you're not going to say, I didn't learn that at New Beginnings. Because I like my job. Okay. So, now watch this. We determine what to give. The tithe is prescribed by God ahead of time. Now, there will be times when the Holy Spirit will instruct you to give a specific amount to an individual towards a project, to a missionary, a guest speaker comes, maybe the Lord puts it on your heart, hey, bless this guy, uh, with a specific amount, okay? Uh, and, and you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. I told this story last night, it's something that happened, my wife and I, uh, just before the pandemic, we were in South Jersey, we were visiting a pizza place down there we really like, and uh, we're sitting at the table and we're having our meal, and this particular place makes pappardelle bolognese, like you think, okay, this is heaven. This is heaven. So we're eating our meal and stuff like this. And as we're eating the meal, I kept noticing the waitress that was waiting on us. I'm going, I felt this stirring on the inside. We're supposed to bless this woman. We're supposed to bless this woman. She recognizes that look in my eyes. And so what's going on? I said, we're supposed to bless this woman. Now, I heard, now this is the deal my wife and I have going on. We always know how much we're supposed to give. One will always confirm the other. But sometimes in our flesh, I might play games. So I knew we were supposed to give her 200, but when my wife said to me, well, how much we? I said, give her, let's give her 100. And I had that little sour stomach, you know, thing. Let's, let's give her 100, okay? So this, we had already given the tip. This was besides the tip, okay? So we, we, we said to her, hey, listen, we want to bless you. Here's $100. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We get in the car, and we look at each other and go, we blew it, man. This was, we were supposed to give her 200. I said, I know, I know. That was the number I got first. So we get out of the car. We go back inside. We ask the manager for the waitress. She comes out. And um, 
I said to her, I forget how we did it. I said, listen, listen I, I want to give you another $100. Now she's really crying. And the manager said to us, you don't understand what happened here. She came into work this morning so upset because after work, she has to go directly to her mortgage company to pay her mortgage before she goes into foreclosure, and she was $200 short. That's giving. That's giving, being led by the Holy Ghost. But if you sit there with your hands in your pocket and, or maybe a hand on your wallet because you don't want to move, how is the Holy Ghost going to show you anything? How are you, you going to have that satisfaction to know, wow, God used us today to bless this person? Because God only knows what she was going through, okay? So God gives us the opportunity to participate. That's why, understand, there is a big difference between the tithe and giving. The tithe is already prescribed by God how much it's supposed to be, 10%. Giving, he allows you to kind of cooperate with him. And it's, listen to me, giving is fun. Giving is fun. Can I tell one more story? I just remembered this one last night after I told the other story. I don't remember when it was. It had to be 10, 12 years ago at this point in time. We had a family in the church, husband and wife, and I think maybe they might have had a couple of kids. Christmas time. Now, every Christmas, you guys are ridiculously generous the way you bless us for Christmas. So every year, there's an offering that is usually taken from my wife and I. This particular year, it was right after Christmas, and I, I had the Christmas offering from, from the congregation. And I'm looking at it, and I'm saying to the Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? It wasn't like, and listen, we're not millionaires, but, but I, I thought to myself, I don't really have a specific need that I need to, I don't have a hole to plug this into right now. What am I supposed to do with it? Am I supposed to do anything with this? And I kind of just left it on the dresser. Well, this couple told us very abruptly that because of a job change uh, transfer for the husband, they needed to move out of state. And as soon as I heard that, I went home and I, I looked at that envelope and I went, oh my God, I'm supposed to give this to them. And let me, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm no different than you. I fought this. Because truthfully, it was a pretty good amount of money. And so I'm back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I said to my wife, I, 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 I just have, to, I have no, no peace. I just have no, I can't rest. I have to give this money to this family, okay? And so the last night they were here, we blessed them, we prayed with them. And I said to them, make sure you come to my office before we go. So I give them this envelope. And I said, here, this is to bless you. And okay, thank you, and leave. Two weeks go by, and I hear from the people. We had no way, we had no way of, of, of being able to hire a truck, to get a moving company, to even hire people on the other end to help us. We were at the very last moment concerned about how we were going to do this, and we opened up the envelope, and it was exactly enough money that they needed to make this transfer to another state. And not have to, you know, carry the stuff on their backs there. Okay. You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the joy of giving. You understand this? Amen. The joy of knowing, wow, God used me to bless an individual. God used me to change the course of somebody else's life. Please don't miss out on opportunities to give. Are you listening to me? Amen. 
Okay? All right, good. You got this now? All right. All right, let's see. What time is it? Yeah, I'm going to just skip to this. All right, let's go to number three. Uh, no, we can't. Go to um, 2 Corinthians 9, but let's go to verse, let's go to verse 8. But I got to do this real quick. Okay, and God will generously, this is if you give according to the way he says to give, God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to do what? Share with others. Remember, we read that someplace else. Next verse. Verse 10. For God, look at this is an important principle here. Look at this, please. Because I know some of you were thinking about horror stories that you heard about people who gave and gave and gave and gave and gave. Watch this now. For God is the one who provides seed, say seed, seed. for the farmer and then bread to eat, right? So it's two different things. He provides seed and what else? Bread, okay? Uh, in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Stop there. We don't have to go any further. Okay, so God, look at me, please. God provides seed and God provides bread. Which one do you plant? Seed. And which one do you eat? Bread. Keep the distinction there. Don't eat your seed and don't try to plant your bread. Bread is what you need to take care of your family. Seed is what you plant for the future. Are you getting this? Why am I saying this? Because I've seen families in 39 years of being a Christian and 26 years being a pastor, listen, that overgave. You're saying the pastor's saying that you can give too much? Yes. And it wasn't in obedience. I know of families who took their bread out of their kid's mouth and gave it to the church because they wanted to get brownie points with the pastor. That doesn't work here because I don't see the offering. Okay? So listen to me. You plant your seed, you eat your bread. You, you make sure your family's taken care of first as it pertains to giving. Are you listening? Yes. And then plant your seed. Well, I don't really have... No, God said he gave you seed and he gave you bread. Somewhere in what you have, some of it's seed and the rest of it's bread. Well, I only got 10 bucks. In that 10 bucks, there's bread and there's seed. Are you getting this? Yes. We're talking about walking accurately in the principles of Scripture. God didn't put this stuff here for his, for his own sake. He put it here for us. Now, I could think of one particular family that did this over and over and over again, and their kids were so disgusted because they didn't have the sneakers they need, they didn't have the jeans they need, they didn't have a bicycle to ride because the parents were giving everything to the pastor. Now those kids don't serve God anymore. So what did it profit? Nothing. Nothing. You give what God tells you to give, and no more, and no less, like I did with the waitress in the pizzeria. Are you getting this? Isn't it common sense? You don't don't make your kids suffer because you want to make sure that, that everybody in church knows that you're the biggest giver. You don't do that. You're planting seeds of destruction in their lives. Is this common sense or what? All right, good. Now, you ready for the good stuff? Because you see, you can have all these principles, you can have all these scriptures memorized, but there's something that will hold you back from true prosperity, and that is a poverty mindset. 
This is what destroys most Christians from experiencing prosperity. A poverty mentality will always limit what God can do for you and what God can do through you. When you have a poverty mentality, every time God says, I want you to bless someone, so you go, you think to yourself, I need it myself. Are you getting this? Yes. All right, stay quiet. It makes me go faster. <laughs> Believers with a poverty mindset tend to live in constant sense of insufficiency. No matter what they have, it's never enough. In spite of Jesus' promise of abundant life. Self-talk. Does everybody know what self-talk is? Yes. Self-talk is what you hear in your head when nobody else is talking and you're not talking. Okay? The self-talk is full of the phrases, I don't have enough or I can't afford. Oh, my God. When I hear somebody say, I can't afford, I want to jump out of my skin. Here's the reason why. How do you know what you can't afford? You don't know what God has coming on the other side of your answer yes to when he tells you to do something. You don't know. what he, he He may put a challenge before you today. And on Wednesday, he's got an envelope coming in the mail to you that you didn't expect at all, which is more than abundant for the thing that you thought you couldn't afford. So stop saying, I can't afford. Why don't you say this? Well, if it's God's will, if this is God's plan, if this is what God wants us to do, you know why? Because there's another principle in the scriptures. Where God guides, he provides. Well, I don't know. I don't see it now. Of course you don't see it now. You have to take steps towards the direction. Rarely, rarely does God go, boom, here's a dump truck full of cash. Now I'll tell you what to do. It's always, I'm telling you what to do, and you're standing there going, I don't know how I'm going to do it. He didn't ask you to try to figure out how to do it. He just told you to do it. This church wouldn't exist. We had Zippo. We had nothing when we graduated Bible school to come back to New Jersey. We scraped together a little bit we have to rent the truck to put our belongings in there and coming back to New Jersey to start this church. He didn't tell me how he was going to do it. He just said, do it. Now, he had told me the year previous to that, don't ever worry about anything when it comes to when it pertains to finances. I will supply everything you need. In fact, he said, I've already supplied everything you need to accomplish what I've called you to do. When the need appears, just thank me for it. And it has worked all these 26 years. Now, I'm going to ask you to be honest with me. I want you to, ask you to, be, I want you to be transparent. Who needs a car here right now? Now, don't go thinking I got one in the warehouse. I'm, <laughs> Who needs a car here right now? Nobody needs a car. You need a car? Honey, listen to me. Go start looking at cars. Amen. Don't sit home and go, I need a car. I need a car. I need a car. Go start looking and look at nice ones. Amen. Don't go look at somebody else's garbage that they dumped off 10 years ago. Amen. Go look at it. Give God something to work with. Start taking steps of faith. Sit in that car. And say that this is natural for me. Now, go to the proportion of your faith. Okay, don't go looking at uh, Porsches if you, don't, if you can't afford the insurance on it. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you sitting there go, oh, 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 it's all about. No, no. How many people need a better house than what you're in right now, a bigger house than what you're in right now? 
go start looking. The house ain't going to come and find you. The house is not going to show up on your front lawn. Hey, look at me with all the doors open, windows open. <laughs> Give God something to work with. Amen. Okay, one of our children and his wife, for some reason, it seemed like they weren't getting pregnant. And so I preached a message like this 15 years ago. On the way home, they stopped the kids or us, picked up a little boy outfit, little girl outfit, hung it in the house, and every time they thought about it, they looked at that outfit and said, Father, I thank you, they won't have a child. It wasn't long after that that she was pregnant. What are you doing? You're giving God something to her. But if you keep saying, I can't afford it, I can't afford it, I can't, you're establishing with your mouth that you can't afford it. So how are the funds going to come to you when you keep repelling them? I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. And then if you start saying really stupid stuff, well, you know, it shouldn't be a surprise because my father was poor, my grandfather was poor, his grandfather was poor. Well, go ahead. Keep that line going. Keep that generation going. It's supposed to stop with you. I got your attention now. But you see, if you were raised in a poverty household, okay, and I have to catch myself sometimes. If you were raised in a household, okay, where at the end of the meal you're scraping the crumbs because you want to save them for the next time, that's a poverty mentality. You're saying, God, well, God can't supply me what I need, okay? Like, God bless my father, God rest his soul. You, him and my mother were alone in the house in Florida, walk in the garage, you think it was ShopRite's warehouse. 17 cans of coffee, 16 gallons of oil, uh, 40 pounds of pasta. Dad, there's no war right now. Eh, you never know. Eh, I get it because it's on sale. When my father passed away, my brother emptied out a freezer with meat in there. It was probably 10 years old. Because every time he saw something on sale, he went and bought it. Because you never know. You never know. Now, I understand there's a difference between being a good steward and being cheap. You have a God of abundance who loves you. Now, I'm not saying being wasteful. Don't be wasteful by no means. But stop this thing. Be wise. Use the coupons. But don't try to scam the cashier when you come up with a coupon that's five years old and you're insisting you just got it last week. <clears throat> is this too real? Poverty mentality is a curse mentality. God did not create Adam and Eve and put them in a poverty system. He created the garden. The garden had everything in abundance that they were going to need. Okay, God didn't come along and say to Adam and you, okay, for today, you got two apples to eat. That's it. Tomorrow when I come, I'll bring you two peaches. If you're good, I'll bring you a piece of watermelon next time or a banana or something like that. God created a system of abundance. Would you please get that in your head? Stop it. You're telling everybody about a God who is love and a God who is generous, a God who takes care of your needs. And then you're living like a hermit. You're not getting it. <laughs> See, the person with a poverty mentality is not technically poor. They just have a mentality of being poor. And no matter how much money you have, no matter what you attain in life, you're always going to have that stench of poverty on you. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced it. I've, poverty has a smell to it. Amen. Poverty has a stench to it. You can smell it from miles away. That doesn't come from God. God not, did not create us to experience poverty. Jesus died on the cross to release us from that curse. And what part of the curse is poverty. I've never felt so unbelieved in a message like I am right now. <laughs> for the Lord is good, Amen. and his mercy endures forever. Amen. Okay? Now, let me just skip ahead here a little bit. People with poverty mentality live an insecure life because they feel like at any time they could lose everything. People with a poverty mentality believe that they have to get rich before they feel secure. But when they get rich, they have no security because their security was in the riches, not in God. Amen. Poverty mentality causes life to become weary and joyless. All right? They believe that they need to hoard everything and they got to take care of themselves first and not help others. Proverbs 28, 7 says this, Whoever gives to the poor will not want... But he who hides his eyes will get many a curse, okay? Uh, let's see, okay. So where does the poverty mindset come from? Most of the time, it's generational. Most of the time, it's generational. It's trained behavior, okay? I've said this before, but it fits here. Let me tell you, I hate winter. I woke up this morning, and I already started going, oh, my God, I can't do this. <laughs> 50 degrees, I can't do this. Oh, my God, I can't do this. I'm starting to go, oh, I'm feeling this, and I'm feeling that, and my, even my stomach was bothering me because of the cold weather. But you know, I traced it back. I traced it back to growing up in the house of a bricklayer, my dad. As a little kid, we would pray for snow so that we wouldn't have to go to school. And he would go in Italian, I won't repeat what he said, Go ahead, pray for snow, because tomorrow you're going to eat blank. <laughs> when you grew up in that household like that, and you got your face pressed up against the glass going, yeah, it's snowing, your father's in the back telling you they're going to have no food tomorrow because it's snowing, it does something to your mentality. Because in his trade, if it got under 29 degrees, you can't work. You see what I'm saying? That was generational. Gener especially if, if you grew up in an immigrant family. I'm talking about first generation. Not, you know, your grandparents came here, fifth, you know, five generations ago. You're an American, okay? But any immigrant mentality experiences this. Be careful about that. There comes a time when you've got to throw off that yoke. You've got to throw off that burden and start trusting God to live life free from that worry and that concern. And if, God forbid, if you don't eat the heel of the bread, you know what I'm talking about? You're wasteful. I happen to like the heel of the bread. You know what I'm talking about? That first slice and the last slice? Sliced bread. Now, Italian bread, everybody likes to do that. But you understand what I'm saying? We had a family member. I won't say who it was. Came to our house, and we had donuts. And there was a half a donut left. And this person said, do you mind if I wrap that up and take it home? <laughs> and I'm like, I'll go buy you a dozen. 
But this person did not grow up in a house where there was a lot of that stuff around. So this was like, man, I hit the lottery tonight. <laughs> Got a half a donut to take home. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. Stop being that way. Actively resist that. Why? Because you're, you're telling, you're sending a message to God that you don't trust him to supply you with another loaf of bread. Amen. You're saying to God, there's not going to be any more donuts left ever again in the whole history of mankind. You understand what I'm saying here? Now, I don't like to waste. When I see bottles of water laying around, I go water the plants. I don't like to waste. But that, to me, that's saying, God, I'm being a good steward of the things that you trust me with. You see what I'm saying? But don't get crazy panicked. Each one of you are going to have to take inventory of your life to see where am I with this. And again, if the first thing that comes out of your mouth, I can't afford that, you don't know what you can afford. If you commit the situation to God, you don't know what you can afford. Okay. Who would have, and I'm going to stop with this because I should have stopped about six minutes ago. Okay. The building that you're sitting in, never in a million years would I have thought starting this ministry with basically nothing 26 years ago. Okay. And then, how long were we in this building? 2007. What is that? Come on, real quick. 2007. 16 years? Okay. Who would have believed 16 years ago that the very first building that we would buy would be $3 million? That's unheard of. It's a, it was, and, and, but, but I could not stand there and go, we can't do this. We can't afford this. I was shaken on the inside. When I signed the mortgage papers, I was like, but I said, we don't know what God's going to do. And as soon as we bought this property, financially, everything exploded. Didn't happen before. It happened after. Why? Because we needed to take that step. Say, well, are you a big shot for it? No, honey, this wasn't the first building we looked at. I started looking at buildings that were 300,000, then went to 600,000, then went to 900,000 then went to a million two, then went to a million. See, gradually, God will get you in your faith to where he needs you to be to take the action step that he's, taking, he's telling you to take. Amen. You don't go from, from paying uh, $500 a month rent to $3 million in one shot. But you see, at any point during that time, we could have stopped the process if we would have went, we can't afford this. I don't know what I can afford. I don't know what I can't afford. If God's leading me somewhere, then that tells me that he's got the provision if I'm willing to take the step. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yes. These are the principles. I pray that God continues to reel them to you. Uh, I pray that you receive them from the heart that I've meant to preach this at to get you in a place of receiving benefit. Amen? Amen. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. If not, God bless you. Go prosper. Go put these principles into action. Amen? Amen. God bless you.